Well, in case you didn't hear before, today is Pentecost Sunday. I appreciate uh, Pat's children's moment because it's Acts chapter 2 that you really see the, the first inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the world after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in Acts chapter 2 that the believers are all gathered together in one place when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fills them. And the result of that coming of the Holy Spirit is that that day, 3,000 people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just imagine what that would do to Centenary United Methodist Church. Can you imagine filling 3,000 people more than what we already have right here in this building? And it's due at least in part to the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit who enabled those Christians, those first believers, to speak in the, the languages of all these foreign peoples that were there in Jerusalem that day. In many ways, that first day of Pentecost was the redemption of the event at the Tower of Babel. You all remember that? In the Old Testament, back in Genesis chapter 11, you remember about the Tower of Babel and, and God had to come down and stop them from committing such evil by confusing their languages so that they couldn't understand. Well, on Pentecost, God does the opposite of that. He redeems that event. And you see this sort of of action that God takes time and time again throughout Scripture. He takes what has happened in the past due to the effects of our sin and redeems it. And on that day uh, at Pentecost, God enabled everyone there in the entire city to understand to be able to hear and understand the message of the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. We see God's redemptive purposes in, in many events throughout Scripture. And in the passage that Pat just read for us, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to be with us. In this promise, we see the continuity between the promised land, that land that, of Canaan that was promised to Abraham and to his descendants, that land served as the sacramental sign of the covenant between God and the people of God. That, that land was kind of the seal of that covenant between them. And today we live in the age of Pentecost, A new age in which the Spirit of God is promised and that promise has been fulfilled. That Holy Spirit that we affirm together when we declare the Apostles' Creed, as we did a moment ago, that we believe in the Holy Spirit. So I find that many Christians don't really know the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. Even among those who do know the Holy Spirit, 
Many don't really understand what the Holy Spirit does, how He works, what the Christian's relationship with the Holy Spirit is supposed to entail. And so this morning we're going to explore together who the Holy Spirit is and what He's all about, what it means for the Holy Spirit to come and give birth to the church on the day of Pentecost. Good teaching on the Holy Spirit, his role in the church, his work in our lives, the mystery that is the Holy Spirit, is sadly lacking in the church today in in America. And it grieves my heart. In my experience, most American Christians don't really understand the Holy Spirit. In fact, they, they understand the Holy Spirit so little that for many of them, the Trinity, functionally, instead of being Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, is Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And of course, that that amounts to kind of a subtle form of idolatry. So as we begin our exploration this morning, let me be very clear That the Bible is the Word of God, not God Himself. And our reliance should not be so much on the Bible as it is on the Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers to write the words of God down in this book. Our reliance is on the Holy Spirit who is the author of of this book. Not on this book. You see, Satan Satan is so clever and so manipulative and so deceitful, he will get us to believe all the truth in the world if he can get us to believe one little lie that either robs us of our faith and our relationship in, in Christ Jesus or prevents us from being effective witnesses to that gospel in this world. We need to allow God to be God. There's so much that I wish we could talk about this morning, about the Holy Spirit. And I've only got about 20 minutes. So... I think what I want to do this morning is to start with talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Because in looking at the biblical record of the history, this story, this narrative of, of God and God's people, the Holy Spirit, and the people who are called according to that Spirit, we can begin to understand the role and the ministry, really who the Holy Spirit is. And what he's all about. We see the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament, active and moving in power within the people of God in the Old Covenant. A lot of people will tell you today that, that the Holy Spirit wasn't present to the people of God in the, in the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you that's wrong. The Spirit of God has always been present with God's people. And that's God's promise this morning. 
The covenant, both the new and the old, is the same covenant. The only real difference is our revelation, our understanding of that covenant is full now in Christ Jesus. The folks in the Old Testament could only look forward to the event of the coming of the Chosen One, the coming of the Messiah, who would renew the relationship of humankind with the God of the universe. But they couldn't see it like we see it now, today. We see this expressed in 1 John, where John gives us what he calls a new commandment, which he says, by the way, is also the old commandment. It's the one that you've always had with you, that you've always heard, but it's new. That you love the Lord, and because you love the Lord, you ought to love one another. The Old Testament, time and time again, sums up the entire law with the same command that we love the Lord our God. God declares this himself in Scripture. In the first and and most important of the Ten Commandments, found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 4 through 21, God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What God is telling us is that he is supposed to be our first love. Our first love. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and following, God speaks directly to the church in Ephesus and also to us this morning when he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds like a pretty good testimony. But God goes on and he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We see here that the Christians of the church in Ephesus had made the law of God their God. And had fallen into idolatry. They confused the love of God's commandments for the love of God himself. And God says, see how far you've fallen. And see, it's so easy, 
sometimes for Satan to, to work his little lies in there and deceive us. It takes reliance on the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. In Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul writes, By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. How is this accomplished? How do we keep standing firm? How do we keep from becoming enslaved again to either some false god or to the law of sin and death? Through reliance upon the living Spirit of God. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Again, we see Moses summarize the entire law of God that was given to the people at Sinai. And this follows immediately after the giving of, the, of, of that law. You see the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. Moses sums it all up in Deuteronomy 6. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus reaffirms this commandment in which all the Ten Commandments are contained when he says in Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10. Starting to get the picture. This must be important if it shows up so often. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Within these two commandments are the whole of the law and the prophets. Joshua sums up the entire law of Moses in Joshua 22, verse 5, and Joshua 23, verse 11, and elsewhere. It's, he's like a broken record with this stuff, where he commands the people of Israel to be very careful, he says. Be very careful that you keep the commandment to love the Lord your God. Again and again throughout Scripture, the Psalms, the prophets, remind us that we are to love God first and foremost. It's about that relationship. And this all has to do with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We love God because the Holy Spirit has testified to God's love for us. We love Him because He first loved us and gave Himself for us. It is the Spirit's work that reveals to us the meaning of the words of Scripture and allows us to see God's intention that lies at the heart of the law. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms our lives and leads us into entire sanctification so that we can live holy as God, our Father in heaven, is holy. Jesus comes to us in the Spirit of God, in the Holy Spirit. It is at Jesus' baptism that the Spirit of God descends upon him at the beginning of his ministry on the earth in the form of a dove and responds dramatically to Jesus' expression of his love and baptism to God. And God says, I am well pleased in you. 
It is this coming of the promised Holy Spirit of God, which is a foretaste of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church at Pentecost, that anoints Christ for ministry. At that point, Jesus became the Messiah. Messiah just means the anointed one. Well, what was the anointed with? With the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit of God. In the Hebrew, the word that is used is ruach. And it refers to the living breath of God, that same breath that God breathed into Adam, who was but dust formed out of the ground. But God breathed life into him and he became a living man. Jesus is a man, a human. And he was limited in every way in which we are limited, just as he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Luke 2, verse 52, tells us that he grew in favor with God and with man. That means that Jesus learned of God and of his own identity as God's Christ. And he grew in his understanding of God, his understanding of himself, and in his understanding of the world, just like we do. It was that same Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in Mary's womb. The first act of the inbreaking new creation of God. And it was that same Holy Spirit that revealed himself to Jesus. It was that same Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And it was the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the supernatural power to come through that temptation without compromise and without falling. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus to understand that he must be at the temple in his father's house when Joseph and Mary found him after searching all over Jerusalem for three days for him. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed to Jesus his relationship with God as his heavenly father. And taught him the name that he used of God. Abba. Just means daddy. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon him and anointed him to proclaim the gospel. Not like the scribes, but with power and authority. It was the Holy Spirit who enabled Jesus, who was but a man, to act in the power of God. Doing miracles and even forgiving sins. The creative acts of God's new creation. It was the Holy Spirit, that eternal Spirit of God, which sent Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem to die on the cross, as we see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Thus from birth to death to resurrection, it's the Holy Spirit that drives Jesus on. To fulfill the destiny that God laid down for him from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. That he must die and three days later be raised again for our sake. For the sake of the salvation of the whole world. 
as Christ, Jesus was raised from the dead by that same Holy Spirit to the resurrection that is not like the resurrection of Lazarus or Jairus' daughter that was subject, subject again to death, but to the resurrection of eternal life that is no longer subject to death. In Colossians 1, verse 18, Paul writes that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In other words, many are born again into the life of eternal resurrection. Jesus just happened to be the first. Like a clarion call. It was the Spirit that gave Jesus new life in resurrection from the dead, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. All of this is what we call the spirit history of Jesus Christ. And it's important because this morning, it is the Holy Spirit, dear ones, that ushers us into the new life of the resurrection, which is why Jesus talks in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 of being born again, not born of a, of a woman, not going back into your mother's womb and, and, and becoming born again, but being born of the water and of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So we go back to Acts chapter 2. We see the coming of the Holy Spirit to us, Christ's body, the church. On the day of Pentecost, it, it is the Spirit that connects the act of faith, of believing on Jesus for our salvation with the resurrection so that we can have right relationship with God, so that we can be brought to eternal life with him. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us alive in Christ. The promise of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled. He's come. He's here with us this morning, even now. Not only that, He's living in you if you are in Christ Jesus. The same Spirit of God that indwelt Jesus Christ Himself dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is the Canaan of the church. He's the sign and the seal of our promised land, of this promise of the Holy Spirit that God has given us, this new life that he's given us. The Holy Spirit is the sign and seal of that new covenant that we share with God through the love of Jesus Christ. This morning... Because God's Spirit dwells in you, Jesus sends you forth into an unbelieving world. But He doesn't leave you alone. This is the Spirit of God that goes with you, the Holy Spirit of promise. And this is why. John Wesley's final words when he was dying, his final words, he couldn't help himself 
It meant so much to him. He just cried out again and again, best of all is, God is with us. Best of all is, God is with us. That Holy Spirit is with us and He gives us the power and the authority to go into the world. And and Jesus says Himself that greater things we will do than He has done. And He died on the cross for us. How can He say that? Well, He can say it because it's the same Spirit of God that enabled Him to go to the cross and become Christ for us that dwells in us if we are in Christ Jesus. So why are we afraid? Why do we live our lives in doubt and fear and cynicism? Why do we live like we don't have access to the very spirit of the living God? I'll leave you with that question this morning and that challenge. In the days and weeks ahead, I pray that you will search out a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That you would seek that revelation from God because He's promised to give it to you. That you would live into that relationship with the Holy Spirit with all your heart. And have victory and freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.